In a moment, I'm going to ask the stewards to come um, and to hand out the communion elements. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment for us to think again about why on earth we do communion. It is Resurrection Sunday. And why, why do we do communion at all? Why during church services or, or gatherings of Christians around the world for two millennia have they had different ways of eating and drinking together? The simple answer is because these are the instructions that the Lord gave us. And I want to make a very simple point this morning. What we are celebrating this weekend, the high point of of the Christian calendar, the thing we come back to every year is that God has given you a seat at his table. God has given you a seat at his table. We are not foreigners to God anymore. As it was created in the beginning That's what Jesus has come to restore. That's the hope that we have. The picture that we're given in Scripture is that one day there will be a wedding feast where Jesus and all the people who belong to him, called his bride, where there will be a wedding feast where they will never be separated again. You and I will be present with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. The heavens and the earth will be remade and the throne of God will be on the earth. We will have a resurrection body modelled after the body of Jesus. And he gives us this picture. He gives us this, this picture out of, a, um, out of a, a Jewish feast called the Passover, which had been put in place to, to signal that blood was going to protect people. The shed blood of a sacrifice was going to keep everyone safe from death from the judgment of God. And I'm just going to read a little bit here from Luke 22. In the middle of this feast, Jesus picks up these elements. And in Luke 22, 17, Luke's record of this says this. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, not everyone who sat at that table understood what Jesus was talking about. Not everyone that sat at that table was completely on board with what was happening. Not everyone who sat at that table was utterly convinced in their own heart. They weren't highly trained academics. But here Jesus uses this incredibly simple picture, which is so necessary for us. We need to eat and drink to stay alive. He takes this picture and he says, let me explain to you that the rules have changed. And he says, this is my body. This is my blood. And as near as that food is to us, when when in a couple minutes... Those of us who, who want to, when we have the piece of bread, when we have a little bit of juice, as near as that is to us, that's how near Jesus is. He's literally inside of us. He belongs to us and we belong to him. We have the promise of a seat at God's table. This is how God wanted us to celebrate that we can know him now. This is how he wanted us to celebrate that he is coming back And he's going to fix everything one day. 
This is how he wanted to show us that the barrier between him and us has been destroyed. God is not out there foreign watching us from a distance. Apologies to Bette Midler. God is not out there from a distance. God is as near to you as the food you eat. He is as near to you as the fluid that you drink. He is near to us. We don't need to be afraid anymore. So in a moment... When these elements get handed out, I ask you to hold on to the cup. We'll drink together. Feel free to eat the bread um, just as it comes to you. But let this very small celebration which we share with each other today, let it kickstart something in us. I know for some of us this morning that our hearts are hurting. We are not going to go from here and eat and drink with our friend Bob today. But because Jesus shared this meal and gave us this meal, we have a hope beyond this world. We have a hope beyond the rat race. We have a hope beyond death. As I pray, could I ask the stewards to come? Lord Jesus, thank you for making it simple. Thank you for making the good news, so simple that any one of us can grasp it. And Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us something physical that we can hold, that we can taste, that we can touch, that your kingdom is not just some idea or something that only happens only happens in the spiritual realm, but it's something that takes root in us physically that you have come near to us, within us. Lord Jesus, in the midst of everything going on, would there be joy in our hearts this morning? Would we look forward to the great and glorious day when we feast with you in your presence, never to be separated again? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, stewards. Lord Jesus, we are here this morning because of you. Because when there was no goodness in us, you were good. When we would not love you, you loved us. And Lord Jesus, it is our privilege and it is our honour to meet together and to celebrate you until you come. So Lord Jesus, we eat and drink together as family this morning. Family because of you and your sacrifice. And Lord Jesus, we bless your name this morning. Amen. Let's drink together. As the, um, as the stewards um, just move and collect the glasses, I encourage you to, um, to open your Bible up, please, this morning. And we're going to have a look at the gospel in the simplest, most concise way we can. So please open up to John's Gospel, chapter 3. We're going to spend just a couple minutes this morning. We're going to have a look at some of what we had a look at on Friday. We get to finish the story because the story doesn't end on Friday. I want to encourage you this morning that the good news of Jesus is precisely that. It is good news. And it is good for us to celebrate the goodness of God. 
even on days where our hearts are hurting, for us to celebrate the goodness of God. It's, it's quite easy sometimes for us to find reasons to, to feel negative, reasons to kind of not brood but just get caught in grief or in loss or frustration that the world as it is is not the world that we want. Life as it is is not the life that we want. Things uh, around us that we want to have control over, we don't have control over. And the good news of Jesus is still good news. No matter how wealthy we are or poor we are, no matter how educated or uneducated, no matter how healthy or sick or free or oppressed, the good news of Jesus is good news. In John chapter 3, this is put very, very simply. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy who's supposed to know it all already, but he was not Australian. Um, and it's true. True story. I won't tell that joke this morning, though. Um, and Jesus says to this man really simply that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Something of God needs to enter into you and it will cause a kind of life that's never been there before. And in explaining this, we get down to verse 16 and Jesus gives the reason why. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is good news for everyone. God's primary motivation was not to condemn you. That was not what he wanted to do. That was the equation. That was how everything sat. And God could have left it that way, and he didn't. On Friday, we spoke um, about this overarching meta-narrative, the big story of God that we find ourselves in, that God created us to have a seat at his table. We were created in God's image, and there was something about us that was different to all of the rest of creation. We're just going to recap through this, and then we're going to Talk about the resurrection. Something happened that we were created with God telling us what our identity was, what our values were, what our purpose was, what our self-worth was, what life was supposed to be about. And when these things flowed from God to humanity, there was not an issue. God had breathed his spirit into us. Literally, the spirit of God, the breath of God, the ruach of God was inside of us. And we became a living soul, the scriptures say. The scriptures say that God looked at everything and saw that it was very good. Very, 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 very good. Nothing wrong with it. That is not the world we live in today. Scriptures tell us that into this situation, 
God gives the opportunity for these people he's created to reject him if they want to. We talked about this on Friday, that if you only have the option to love someone, then how real is that love? God gave them the opportunity to turn their back on him. This picture of two trees, the tree of life, to continue depending on the Lord and trusting in his provision and trusting in his protection and trusting that he was good, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the scriptures say that an enemy of God came and said, God can't be trusted. You cannot trust that God's going to provide for you. You cannot trust that God is good. You cannot trust that God's going to meet all of your needs. And the scriptures go on that there is this comes in the form of a serpent. And after temptation happens and and after Adam and Eve reject God, everyone who comes after them is born into a universe that has rejected God. And that affects us from the outside and that affects us from the inside. Something inside of us died. The spirit of God was no longer near and personal but the Spirit of God was absent. The Apostle Paul writes that each one of us is born spiritually dead. That's why Jesus says you have to be spiritually reborn. You have to be born of water, physical birth. You have to pass through the waters of birth, but you need to pass through the spirit of rebirth as well. Something has to be born again in you. And so humanity is alone. God is distant. God is absent. We now live in a universe which is falling apart. It is cursed by God. There is childbearing pain. The world is not going to provide for us anymore. By the sweat of your brow, you will bring forth sustenance. The universe is broken. Things fall apart. The the law of the universe is now atrophy and entropy. Sometimes we call it thermodynamics. Um, that when energy passes from one place to another place, it gets lost in the middle and the whole universe is wearing down, grinding down, becoming more and more useless, falling apart, entering into decay. On a macro level and on a micro level, everything is falling apart. And it means that because God is distant to the natural, normal human condition, it means that we are left on our own to figure out what our identity is, what our values are, what our worth is, what our meaning is, what our purpose is. And so we invent things for ourselves. We have a look at the brokenness of the world around us, the way that our bodies fall apart, the way the world is falling apart, and we can end up going, this is the world God created it to be. That is not the story. That is not what God intended. We cannot look at the brokenness of our universe and say, this is the way God meant for it to function. Everything dies eventually. And if God is ever going to rescue humanity from this, death itself will need to be undone. Scripture tells us that death is an enemy. Um, We're told in the book of Revelation that that when Christ comes in his glory, death, who is the last enemy, will be placed under his feet. Death itself will be done away with. The way the universe is falling apart will radically change. And the human condition 
needs to radically change as well. If creation needs to be reborn, if creation needs resurrection, then how much more do we need resurrection? Not just physically, but what's going on inside of us as well. The scriptures say that when Adam and Eve turned their back on God, they they took themselves out from under God's authority and placed themselves under the authority of Satan, the enemy of God. And that is why when Jesus comes, he had to confront the authority of Satan. And when Jesus goes out into the desert to be tempted, that, that whole encounter is about Satan saying, just surrender to my authority and I'll give you what you want. And that's why it's so important that Jesus at no point surrenders to, your, to the authority of Satan. We think that we're free if we reject God. Again, this is the lie that we inherit, that God is not to be trusted. We don't need God. We can be God ourselves. We can be demigods and we see this. This is Australian culture. Every person is a demigod. How dare you question their right to govern themselves? How dare you open your mouth and say, actually, there is a higher law at work. There is a higher code going on. There is a higher set of values. There is a higher set of, of purposes at work in the universe. If you threaten the God of Australia, the people that worship that God will attack you. But we want to be gods ourselves. And this is nothing new. It's not unique to Australia. This has been going on for millennia. Humans still have these experiences of of interacting with the spiritual world. Scriptures talk to us about angels and demons and spirits and, and all sorts of things going on. And when people have these encounters separate to an understanding of God, what conclusion could they possibly reach other than that that this is something going on that they're not in control of and we need to try and take control. We see this in every other dominant world religion, that there are gods out there but they are fickle and you need to learn how to manipulate them. You need to learn how to do the things to make them do what they want for you, that they are not for you, they are, they are against you and you need to bribe them or you need to earn their love or you need to win them over, or you need to stack up enough brownie points. And humans like this idea sometimes. They like just being able to exchange something and get what they want from the God. Humans want to be worshipped, and so we end up worshipping people. We love the story of of someone who is a hero, that someone will maybe one day rescue us from how messed up this world is. We love these stories. They're embraced in popular culture, have been for for generations. We take human beings and we we elevate them and we worship them. We tell their story. We sing songs about them. We hold them up as demigods or as idols. And because we are so hungry to get out of this messed up, falling apart world, we are so easily manipulated. We are easily manipulated that someone can tell a false story because we want to be part of a bigger story. Someone can tell a lie instead and try and sweep us up and carry us away. And we want to be heroes. And so that gets tapped into and human beings end up having their inner brokenness exploited and magnified against one another. And this is the human condition. This is what the world looks like in the absence of God. 
when we are left to our own devices, our creativity does not bring life. It brings death. We talked on Friday that there is a promise. Even when God breaks everything, when the universe is cursed, when God takes literally a step back from creation and says everything is going to start falling apart now, there is a promise that one day a rescuer will come who will fix everything. Humanity has rejected God. The onus is not on God to fix the problem. The onus is on humanity. We caused it. We're supposed to fix it. But we've caused an eternal, limitless, immeasurable problem. And if if a rescuer is going to come, if, if a human being is going to come that's going to fix this problem, that human being needs something eternal about them, something limitless about them, something immeasurable about them. This promise of one who will come and crush the serpent's head, this promise of the lion of the tribe of Judah, one who is going to somehow be uh, the son of man and yet be honoured by God. We see this, this vision in Daniel. And as God starts reintroducing himself to humanity, story after story, he says, this is what I'm like. These are my values. This is the way I work. When, when I walk amongst you, here is what my footprints are going to look like. We see these stories sown throughout the Old Testament that God is in charge of the material universe. He decides what burns and what doesn't, whether it's a burning bush or a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, or or three men that get thrown into a fiery furnace, whether it's tongues of fire that appear on the heads of the disciples, the Lord shows who he is. He is powerful. He is immeasurable. And yet destruction doesn't happen. Jesus has not come into the world to destroy the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God starts interacting with people. He starts giving them instructions on the way that he wants to be worshipped. He's not allowed to be treated like any of these other gods. You don't make deals with him. He sets the terms and his terms are that he will save his people. And he requires blood. Blood covers sin. When we look back at the story at the very beginning of the Bible, the story in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rejected God, the very first, the very first thing that died was an animal that the Lord himself put to death to clothe Adam and Eve in their nakedness and in their shame. God sets the model right at the start. Blood covers sin. Blood covers shame. Innocent blood. And then he reiterates this the whole way through, saying innocent blood can be exchanged for sin. This is why we're celebrating Easter today, is because this is the picture that God put in place. Innocent blood will cover sin. This terminology appears in the scriptures, a lamb of sacrifice without blemish, absolutely perfect. And God is still introducing himself. When he turns up, this is what he's going to look like. The scriptures say, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, this sacrificial lamb is going to come. He's going to be the suffering servant. 
going to be born of a virgin. He will sit on David's throne. He's going to be from the, the biological bloodline of David the king. And it is the will of God that this suffering servant of God is going to be crushed. So we celebrate Christmas, that God comes into the human story, that this immeasurable, eternal, unfathomable God comes in human flesh and that our rescuer has turned up. And we talked about this on Friday when he walks and talks. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. He says, I don't do things just because I want to. I do them because I see the Father doing them, because the Father tells me to do them. When you look at Jesus, you see Father God. And what does Jesus do? He gets down in the dirt and he embraces people. He spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he rubs it in the eyes of a blind man and gives them their sight back. The crippled person walks. The dead are raised to life. The people who are hungry get fed. That's what it's going to be like when God fixes everything. But the lamb has to die. And in the lead up to this weekend, this this story, I, I never get tired of hearing this story because when we see what happens to Jesus, It reflects on us not just the glory of God that all this bad stuff happens to Jesus and yet Jesus continues loving us. It doesn't just reflect on us his glory and his majesty and his power. It reflects on us actually the true nature of the human condition, that the way Jesus is treated is ultimately our our default response to God. If Jesus was here today, he would not be treated any differently. Because Jesus' followers today don't get treated any differently. We see Christians all over the world today who are persecuted without a fair hearing. We see them where they are abandoned um, by their friends. We see them where they find themselves in isolation. And we do see Christians martyred all the time. Tens of millions of Christians a year. And they have their freedom taken away from them. They have, they have their health taken away from them. They lose their properties. They lose their homes. Uh, their families cut them off. I know I've shared the story a couple of times already, but even being in India a couple of weeks ago, when these young people give their life to the Lord, for so many of them, the father, the patriarch of that family, will come and will hold his hands over them and pray the funeral prayer that they have already died, completely cut off because of the name of Jesus. This is the normal human response to faith. And it does not stop the love of God. Again, the good news is simple this morning. When Jesus died, he descended into death as all humans do. If Jesus was anything less than completely human, he could not pay the price from the human side of the equation. He had to be completely 100% human. And yet if Jesus was not completely God from God and light from light, then he himself was not powerful enough and valuable enough to pay the price of sin for all of us. He could not be anything other than completely God 
and completely man. And what we celebrate this morning is not only that Jesus has descended into death, but that death itself got changed as part of that process. What we celebrate today is that death was too small a thing to contain Jesus. When Jesus went down into death, he did so as one that had all authority. And coming through death and into a new kind of life, he has all authority not only over the dead, but over the living and over death and everyone who has ever died. The scriptures tell us that when Jesus died, he went and he preached the good news. This is the God that we worship. Is the universe still broken and corrupted and decaying? Yes, absolutely. Do we still die? Yes, we do. Do we get to choose which part of the brokenness of this universe we have to live with or affects us? No, we are still not in control. Does God intervene? Does he heal? Does he move? Does he sometimes even raise the dead? Yes, absolutely. But our hope is no longer in this universe. Our hope is in the one who breathed the universe into being. Our hope is in this God who has come into the mess and laid hold of us and radically transforms the mess. If you are here this morning and your life is messy, praise God, you're in the right room. God is with you in the mess, and the mess needs to get scared. Death needs to get scared because the mess in your life is no longer the thing that defines you. The storm that you happen to be going through in your life is not the biggest thing going on because you have Jesus with you. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And we see the love of Jesus. We see the love of the Father. We see the goodness of God. We see that we now have a hope beyond the cemetery. We have life beyond the grave. We have his spirit in us. We have assurance. The hope that we have this morning is that the lie is precisely that, a lie. This lie that God is not good and God is not to be trusted. It's a lie. God is good. God can be trusted. It is because of Jesus that we have hope that we will meet in the Father's house. His Son has come to make a way through death and into a kind of life which is more complete in Christ than it could ever be without Him. God is good. God is so good to us and he does not stop being good to us. If you have lived your life ignoring God, he has not ignored you. If you have lived your life rejecting God, he has not rejected you. He has not turned his back on you. He has not ignored you. He has not forgotten about you. He has not sidelined you. God continues pursuing us. God continues sending people into our lives, sometimes really annoying people that won't shut up about him. God corners us. God visits us in dreams and visions. He makes the words stand out off the page or the lyrics in songs that we hear. He is calling out to us continually. And God is big enough 
and powerful enough and majestic enough and beautiful enough that he does not abandon us. God is not human in a broken way. In Jesus, we see what it means to be truly human. And here is the hard part. If we come to God with our questions, he will answer them. This is called the incredulity of St. Thomas. I think it's a Caravaggio. And it's, it's great. We can bring all of our questions to God and he will, not, he will not throw us away for having questions. That's not how he operates. But we need to make a decision at some point as to whether or not we are going to belong to him. Because if we choose to continue ignoring him, he will let us do that too. If we choose to have a life and an existence where God plays no part, then the Lord is a gentleman. And God will let us live a life where he is not part of it. And then one day when our bodies can no longer support or contain our life, the scriptures tell us that the Lord will let us continue living for all of eternity outside of himself, outside of who he is. And if God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, then it means God will let us have an eternity outside of love and outside of goodness. Let us not confuse our powerlessness and the brokenness of the universe with God being less than good. Today of all days, please hear the simplicity of the good news. Jesus is who he claims to be. And Jesus is good. Return to God. Give your life to God. Give him your life today. And when you wake up tomorrow, give him your life again, every day. God is good and you can trust him. There is a hope beyond death. There is a purpose beyond the finite rat race of life. This is God's story and he knows how it ends already for you and for me. And your life has a place in God's story. There is a God who lives and Jesus, his son, has shown us what he looks like. And he is good. Let's pray. Lord God, we can't fathom your goodness. We don't have the words, we don't have the faculties intellectually to fathom the depth of your goodness. But Lord God, would you make it simple for us? Would you speak to us, please? That still small voice that the scripture talks about deep in our heart. That incredibly simple message that we need to hear from you, that we are loved and that we're not in control, but that you are good. Lord God, would you speak to us, please? For those of us who are hurting, would you meet us in that hurt? For those of us with questions, would you meet us in our questions? For those of us who are angry or those of us who have fear, please meet us in our anger or in our fear. 
But Lord God, please, please let us know the truth of those words that you are good, that you are exactly who you claim to be. Lord God, this, this is your day today. And would we represent you faithfully in this rapidly changing world that we have around us? Would we proclaim faithfully the simplicity of this message that you so love the world, that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life? For you didn't send him into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.